Good morning. My name is Chad Wickstrom. I'm the lead pastor here at Pursuit Church. Welcome to our gathering in person. I uh, want to say, if you're a guest with us today, we're especially glad that you're here with us. Uh, we're thankful that you've decided to spend some time with us here on Sunday morning. Uh, I also want to say hi to everybody watching online. We know that most people check us out online before they actually show up. But as Brian said, we've got room for you here. We'd love to see you in person real soon. We're a warm, loving, but safe family to come hang out with on Sundays and grow spiritually. Hey, if you're uh, checking in for the first time, you're in the middle of an incredible series that we are in right now that I think has been powerful. I know for me, as I've studied each week, uh, I've just been excited to come up and talk about what God is showing me in his word. And so we've been in this series we're calling Strange. Strange. In this world, you are going to have struggles. You're going to face opposition. You're going to face challenges. You're going to be met with difficulty and trial. And there's a good reason for this. Listen carefully. This world is not your home. You were created for another world. This world right now that we live in is broken. And it's filled with broken people. But God did not create you for this world. He created you for something bigger and better. And the Bible tells us that inside every heart on this planet is eternity. We long for eternity, for God to redeem what he created us to live in. You and I were meant to be strange in every good sense of the word. Would you turn to your neighbor, your friend, and say, you were meant to be strange. Go ahead and do it, and do it with enthusiasm and meaning and intensity. You were meant to be strange. My friends, we all struggle with fear and insecurity. At different times and in different seasons, different contexts, fear makes us feel insecure inside. When the unknown is in front of us, and this week for all of us, there's a big unknown, right? We're all going, what's going to happen this week? We're all feeling uneasy and, and a bit insecure. What's going to happen in our nation? And how's that going to affect our lives? And how's that going to affect me personally? And that place of unknown is oftentimes associated with fear and insecurity. Maybe you don't feel good enough or attractive enough or competent or successful enough. Maybe you don't feel your opinions are valued. You're not respected. You don't have maybe a lot of influence. You don't feel safe, and you're, you're always asking the question, what if this happens, or what if that happens? Maybe the people around you have these high standards for you, and you, you wonder whether you can actually ever measure up to those standards, or, or if you're going to continually feel like you're disappointing the people around you. Maybe you have high standards for yourself, and, and you can't seem to satisfy those in your life. Let me tell you this, I found that most, if not all people, struggle with insecurity of some, sport, some sort, and especially those who go out of their way to project 
an unshakable confidence and power, they are usually the most insecure people on the planet. If you sat down and talked to them, you'd find that. Dr. Eleanor Canarthy wrote this, the average person has more than 200 negative thoughts a day. Let that sink in for a second. The average person has 200 negative thoughts per day, whether it's worries, jealousies, insecurities, cravings for forbidden things. And she goes on to note that depressed people have as many as 600 negative and consuming thoughts that creates, create fear and insecurity in them. How many of you know Ann Landers? Anybody ever write something to, to Ann Landers, her column? She was a syndicated columnist, gave great answers. People, she was very well known, uh, not so much now, but she's written some, some great responses. And she talks about what she's learned over the years. And she writes this. She said, I've learned plenty, including, most importantly, what Leo Rostea had in mind when he said this. Listen carefully. Each of us is a little lonely deep inside, and longs to be understood. Can you relate to that? Each of us is a little bit lonely and longs to be understood. I have learned how it is with stumbling, tortured people in this world who have nobody to talk to. The fact that this column, her column, has been so successful underscores, at least for her, the central tragedy of our society. That disconnected, the insecurity, the fear that bedevils, cripples, and paralyzes so many of us. And she says, she goes on to say, I have learned that financial success, academic achievement, social or political status opens no doors to peace of mind or insecurity. We are all wanderers like sheep on this planet. My friends, we need wisdom, true wisdom from God's revelation to live in this day and age, now more than ever. This world, if we let it, will conform us to its mold. And we'll begin to live in a state of continual fear and, and living our lives to please others unless we reach a point where we realize that godly wisdom is what we need. The book of Daniel offers us this kind of wisdom. The main idea today, you guys ready to jump in? Let's dig into our Bibles now. Daniel chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Main idea is this. God is faithful, powerful, and wise when the world is falling apart. Today we talk about we can face our trials with confidence. Would you turn to your neighbor real quickly before we pray and say, God is faithful, powerful, and wise. Let's pray as we open up his word, Daniel chapter 3, today. Father God, we thank you that you are faithful, you are powerful, and you are wise. That we can come to you, we can turn to you to seek wisdom, and you promised you would provide it generously in our lives. God, may we be a people that live in wisdom in this life. God, may we hear your word and respond to it in truth in our lives. Not just hear it and go away thinking nothing of it, but we would hear it and we would make the changes. We would affirm the places in our lives that we've been living in that wisdom and continue on in it. God, would you speak through me this morning your words and your truth as we dig in to this important story in your book of wisdom. 
We pray for the grace to open our eyes, to illuminate us to, you, uh, to your truth today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Daniel chapter 3, again, God is faithful, powerful, and wise. Even when the world is falling apart, you and I can face our trials with confidence. That's what we're going to learn today. Again, the key passage, Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, reads this, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. My friends, Pursuit Church, I just want to celebrate for a moment that this church family shined brightly yesterday. We got to hang out with 150 cars, great people, people representing the cars. We weren't hanging out with the cars. You know what I mean. The people in the cars, right? We got to hang out with several hundred people yesterday and just let them know God loves them and we love this community and we love them. And it was just beautiful. So way to go, pursuit. Let's give ourselves a fake way to go. Pat somebody on the back. Give an add a girl, add a boy. Good job. Yes. Back to Daniel, though, we're living out what we're reading. We're living in wisdom together as a church family. Remember, Daniel can be divided into two parts. The first part tells Daniel's story about the things that he encountered, the trials that he went through, the challenges he faced, and how he responded. So that's the part of Daniel we're in. If you're getting excited about the future things, that's coming. Last week, we encountered a dream that had some prophetic elements. We're going to come back to that dream. But we learned some things about how to live wisely yet the, the last week, and we will this week as well, and a couple more weeks in the first part of Daniel. The second part is the record of his visions and dreams that were prophetic in nature, that God used to help inform his contemporaries, but they are also relevant to us. Daniel's role in the Bible, again, he's the last of the major prophets. There was Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. He was a captive. He was an exile. He was a stranger in a foreign land through most of his life. And that's why we're looking at the book of Daniel to understand we, we're living in a foreign country. It feels more foreign than it's ever felt, does it not? And so godly wisdom must rule and reign in this day for us to live life in a way that pleases and honors God. The book of Daniel plays several roles in the Bible. His life serves, again, as an example of integrity. And again, his visions help us see what's happening and how we land in that part of history. So here we are, the setting. The Jews are in a foreign country. Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego are, are four men who decided to live as a redemptive force in the middle of their captivity. They were going to worship God and God alone. Again, the main idea of this you can face your trials with confidence. So let's dig into the story here this morning. Nebuchadnezzar had had the dream, but he was also a man who struggled with insecurity. He had had that dream, and that dream was pretty sobering to him, right? Remember that from last week. The dream basically was he had dreamt that, that there was this big statue, and the top of the statue was golden, and as it moved down the body, it, it had a... a the feet were clay and stone, and a rock was fashioned out of the mountain, not by hands of men, but by signifying the hand of God, and it crushed the statue, which was a signification to that king that his kingdom was going to fall. So you can imagine what kind of fear and insecurity that created him, right? 
So here we are in this story. The king is now trying to not let that dream come true. He is not listening to the wisdom God has given him, and he's now resisting against it. So let's dig into the biblical record, Daniel 3, verses 1 through 7. We'll start there. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide, and set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned all the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image of King Nebuchadnezzar that he had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of, the, of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship immediate will be, immediately will be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So here our scene is set. In front of the whole nation, thousands have gathered, and they are asked to bow down and worship a false god. It was a great cultural and religious spectacle. Some things that come to my mind as I think about it, we've got an inauguration coming up, right, where we exalt the new king over the nation, right? Our new king that we've elected. Millions of dollars are spent on that, right? They want to do flyovers. They want to march military. Just all sorts of spectacles. So that's the same kind of thing we're right in the middle of here in this story. Yet there was one dark and very sinister element to this story, right? King Nebuchadnezzar had imposed the sanction, if you do not bow down, you will die. No, no, no lack of clarity here. You don't bow down, you're going into the fiery furnace, right? Or the Fernie, as some people like to call it. This was a hardship and a trial and a challenge, a difficulty beyond probably anything any of us have faced. Under threat of death, we would be called to worship a false god. That's the reality for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three men who had chosen to follow God, they had to make a choice. This problem was not going to go away. They had to make a, a decision that was going to basically cost them their life. Which way will they go? What will rule the day in their hearts and minds? And I ask us today that same question. What's going to rule your heart and mind in this day? 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down. They refused to, to compromise. They refused to en- renounce God. Pick up in Daniel chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. It says, There were some Jews whom you set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who paid no attention to you. Your mantle tells were coming to the king, telling on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were then brought before the king. Now remember from last, the last few weeks, we learned that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were exalted to, uh, to serve in the king's court at some of the highest levels. So he knew these young men. He knew who they were, and he was probably confused and wondering, well, surely they didn't mean to do this, right? Surely they didn't understand the order that was given that they would die if they didn't worship, right? He assumed that they could not possibly be deliberately and intentionally defying him. So he brought them before him, and he gave them a second opportunity to do what he asked, right? He says, men, surely you've understood what I've told you. Surely you understand that I have said you must worship and bow down to this this God that I've created for you to bow down to, statue of me. Can you imagine what kind of a temptation they were going through in that moment, though? Can you put yourself in their shoes as they're standing before the king, not too far off from where they are? There's a fiery furnace blazing, maybe feeling some of the heat from that, and they get another opportunity to do what he's asked them to do and not die. Look how they respond. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. What kind of internal fortitude does that take? With great courage and dignity, they told the king they were not going to argue with him, They were not going to make any excuses. They refused to save their their situation, save themselves in the situation at the price of defying their own conscience. They would not do it. Can you imagine how much courage it took for them to stand up for that, what they believed in? They were prepared to take whatever consequences, to accept the consequences of a choice not to worship a false god. My friends, we are not called out to go looking for opportunities to be martyrs, but if if the opportunity presents itself for you to take a stand and make a stand, God's people choose to stand firmly no matter what the consequence. That's the kind of faith that moves us from death into life. We make a firm commitment. So I ask you this morning, are you prepared to make a stand should the time come? That decision must be made before the opportunity presents itself. 
So they embrace confidence in. This is the best part of the story from my perspective. Such incredible trust and confidence in the sovereignty of God. Listen to this, verses 17 and 18 in Daniel 3. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But, look at this, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Man, does that not just stir something up in you? That kind of courage. I don't, even if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ yet or you're still searching, the, the, this kind of response makes you pause and take note, right? Because they're saying something they're willing to die for. And my friends, it's been said, and I believe it to be true, if you don't know what you're willing to die for, you are not really living. These men knew what they were willing to die for. And they were really living. Even if he does not, what kind of trust in the sovereignty of God is that? No matter what happens, man can do nothing when we serve the living God. They were secure in the face of this incredible danger because their hope was based on a deep covenant and a personal relationship with the God of this universe. Their faith in God was so strong that they could not even imagine any harm that could come to them by the hands of man. They served a living God, the God who created the universe. It was unquestioning the depth of their faith. They knew God would, was powerful enough to save them, but if he did not, he had a good reason for it. One of the early church fathers Following the era of the church in the New Testament, he had a similar experience. His name was Polycarp. He was considered a bishop of Smyrna, and he was brought before the Roman authorities, and he was told, he was said, he was told that if he did not curse Christ, he was going to die. And they told him if, if he would simply curse Jesus, they would let him go. Here was his response recorded in this in exchange here. He said, 86 years have I served him, that is God, in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The Roman officer replied, unless you change your mind, I will have you burnt. Polycarp said, he said this, you threaten a fire that burns for an hour and after a while is, crinched, uh, is quenched, for you are ignorant of the judgment to come and of everlasting punishment reserved for the ungodly. Do what you wish. My friends, that kind of faith is the faith God is looking for in this time in history, a faith that is willing to stand up and say, this is wrong. This is wrong. And take whatever price you need to from me, but this is wrong. And my friends, we know that God is able to save. He's able to heal. He's able to deliver from temptation. He is able. But we have a God who may not save us in a particular moment. That is the truth. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel here. 
I'm preaching a true gospel that says when you choose to follow Jesus, that doesn't mean your life is going to get great and all the money is going to come in and you're going to have everything that you want in life. That's just flat out a lie from the pit of hell. That's not what this life is about. God has a richer, deeper, more beautiful thing planned for us than our temporary pleasure here on planet Earth for 60, 70, or 80 years. My friends, faith that is genuine and then that saves us is a faith that does not waver. It's invested no matter what the cost, no matter what the God of this universe decides. We trust in his character, not in his works. We trust in that God is good and he's wise and he's all-powerful and if he chooses to use any of that, on our behalf, we praise him. If he chooses not to do any of that on our behalf, we praise him. Let's finish the story here and, and, and do some takeaways here uh, this morning. The, the rest of the story, Daniel chapter 3, 19 and 20. Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. So he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. And they do that. And when they do that, they get so close to the fire, they die. The men who had bound them up throw them in, and they die. But something interesting happens as they're in the fiery furnace. Do you know what happens? You know what happens? They live. They live. <laughs> they're walking around in the flames, and something else happens. Jesus, some have thought it was Jesus himself, came to be with them. They lived. They're walking around. The king goes and tries to get close enough to look, and he sees in there, there's three of them walking around, and there's a fourth with them, and he's freaking out because he just witnessed his strongest soldiers die from getting too close to the fire. These three young men were in the fire, but they were not alone. I'm not sure what is more beautiful in this moment to know that they, they were saved in the fire or to know that God was with them in the fire. I don't know what fire you're facing. I don't know what trial or struggle you might be in. But I do know this. You have a God who cares, and he is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And he is a good, good God. Daniel chapter 3, the end of the story. Nebuchadnezzar approaches the opening of the blazing furnace and, and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out of there. Come here. So they did. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, the royal advisors crowded around them. They saw the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was the hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Again, my friends, God went further than the miracle of just simply saving them physically. He was with them in that fire. His presence in physical form 
Some have considered this the appearance of Jesus, a theophany. But the important point to remember is that God was with them in the trial. God is with you. Would you turn to your neighbor and say to them, you are not alone. You are not alone. C.S. Lewis said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. My friends, in Christ, you never walk alone. Three quick takeaways. This is what I want you to learn from this story. This is what I hope you'll take away today. Number one, how do I conquer my insecurity and embrace confident faith? Number one, you must decide to play out the, the, the story of your life for an audience of one. You must make the decision that you are living your life for God and God alone. Not for your spouse, not for your parents, not for your children, not for your employee or your employer, your employees or your employer. You're not living for anybody else. You are living your life for an audience of one. Verse 16, so beautiful there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. They knew this. They understood it. They were only living for God in the middle of their strange life. In a foreign country, they were playing for an audience of one, so it did not matter what the rest of the world did. It did not matter who was the king or who was the president. They had decided we were going to play for an audience of one. I hope you will decide that same thing. It doesn't matter who our next president is. God causes kingdoms to rise and fall. We serve a living God. Who cares and has a plan? And whether he saves us or he does not, he's good. But we must decide in our hearts to let him be the one that we are playing for. When you were in school, were were people there that you felt like you had to please? You had to make a team or get invited to a party or be first in your class now that you're older? Maybe you feel like you have friends that you need to impress? or satisfy the expectations of your spouse, or prove to yourself that you can be a huge success. You don't want to disappoint anywhere. My friends, where do we find a true security in all that? It comes when we decide to play for an audience of one. Hebrews 13, 6, we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid what can mere mortals do to me. What audience are you playing for? The second takeaway we have this morning from the story I want you to to leave with is to trust only God for everlasting security. My friends, this world is fading away. There are birth pains all around us. The fires that have consumed the beautiful Colorado mountain, the earthquakes, the, the things that we see in the natural world all point to the truth of the Bible that this world is breaking down. It's not intended to continue this way. That's what those signs are for. So take heart. God's plan is unfolding in all for our good. For our good. But we trust only him for everlasting security. They said to him, if we're thrown in the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Is God able to save? Of course he is. 
But he may not choose to save us in the way that we want him to, but he's still God. And we trust him for our everlasting security. In the book of Acts, Peter's freed from prison by an angel, but James was killed by a sword. Stephen dies with a vision of heaven to open up and Jesus at the right hand of the Father. But the apostle Paul had a brutal, hard life. He was, he was whipped, he was beaten, he was imprisoned. He was made fun of, he was spit at. His security was not in his daily circumstances and what was going on around the world. His security was in God and God alone. 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 12. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. This is Paul speaking. Rather, join me in the suffering for the gospel. By the power of God, he saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his purpose and grace. The grace he's given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it's now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who's destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I believe, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I entrusted him till that day. My friends, we have a God who is good. And in his wisdom, he has chosen to allow us to struggle and to have trials and difficulties, and they will be there. But we can have a confidence in our eternal security. Number three, takeaway today, do what is right no matter what the cost. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even if he does not, speaking of God, we want you to know, your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. They had chosen to do what is right, no matter what the cost. Okay, so right now, you know the right thing to do in your life, but you're still questioning it. Is it safe? How much will it cost? Will somebody support my decision? What if this blows up in my face? My friends, a tentative commitment is fodder. It's breeding ground for fear and insecurity. When you make a tentative commitment to something, you're second-guessing and questioning yourself the whole way through. God is calling people to a, a, a firm commitment no matter what the cost because he is good, he is God, and he holds the words of life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood this, and they were willing to do what was right no matter what the cost. First Peter illuminates this truth a little further for us. Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. My friends, God is always with us. But from this story today, we learn, but especially when we stand up in faith for what is right, we bear witness to Christ. The main idea is this, my friends. God is faithful, powerful, and wise. Even when the world is falling apart, you can face your trials with confidence. What's your next step? What is God speaking to your heart this morning? What does he want you to do in response to today's message? Maybe you're realizing for the first time that that God is calling you 
to be one of those like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to put your faith in God no matter what the cost. And maybe you've never done that. I want to invite you to do that today. The Bible tells us clearly that we have all sinned. Romans tells us, Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's nobody that measures up to God's standard. If you and I were standing next to each other and we were going to attempt to throw a baseball to the moon, you might throw further than me, maybe. I've got a pretty good arm. I've got a strong arm. I might throw further than you, but if our object was to shoot and hit the moon with those throws, does it really matter who threw further when we both missed the mark so far? Friends, that's what the Bible tells us. We've all sinned. We all fall short. And the consequence of that sin, Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. Eternal death, eternal separation from God. When we choose against God our whole life, he's not going to, at the end, just say, hey, well, you didn't choose your whole life. Come on over now. He gives you this opportunity right now to bend your knee to him, the one true living God. Ephesians 2 tells us, For by grace we are saved through faith, not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. I want to invite you to receive that gift this morning. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and pray with me this prayer if you are ready to give your life to Christ in this moment? Just want to settle our hearts quietly before the Lord. If you have never given your life to Jesus, whether you're here in person or you're watching online, if you would pray with me, there's no magical words that you need to pray. I'm just going to shepherd your heart to express what God is doing in you. Let him be your words, but pray this with me. Jesus, I know I'm sinful and I've missed the mark too many times. I realize that my, my good works will never make up for my wrongs. I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins. And I want to turn away from them right now. I trust you to be, right now, my Lord and my Savior. And with your help, I will follow you as my leader in the fellowship and friendship of your church family. If you prayed that right now and you're watching online, I'd, I'd love to be praying with you. We'd love to walk alongside you. Just put a comment in there. Say, hey, pray for me, Pastor Shad. I responded to that invitation today. We'd love to pray with you and maybe send some things to you just to encourage you in your journey or you can come join us here on a Sunday morning. We'll walk with you through life. But if you're here this morning, as we continue in an attitude of prayer, if you prayed that with me today for the first time, you've never prayed that before, I would love to pray for you here right now. If you would just pop up your hand, let me know, hey, I prayed that with you today. Would you pray for me? Anybody here this morning? Let me pray for the rest of us as we conclude our time and sing another song together.
Father, we thank you that your word is truth and it sets us free. And those of us who have chosen to follow you, your son Jesus Christ, God, we need your strength to stand up when the test comes, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Would you help us to be bold in our faith? to live for you, to live in relationship with you and be ready no matter what it costs us to stand for what is right. We thank you for these stories of, these great stories of faith that encourage us along the way. Thank you for keeping those for us. We thank you for all the lives that we encountered yesterday. We pray you'd continue to bring blessing and favor to this community and to this part of Fort Collins. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.